It's good to be with you. Uh, choir and band, thank you guys for leading us through song to worship Christ. Um, if you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be in verses 6 through 12 today. So 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 12. And if you're using the Pew Bible, that's going to be on page 993. And as Craig said earlier, if you don't have a Bible, this would be, uh, we would love to give you this Bible. Take it home. The one right there in the pew, we'll replace it later. It would be a great way that we could serve you today by giving you a copy of God's Word that you can have it throughout the week to read as well. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. Pray with me now. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can gather together as your children to worship you through song, through the reading of your word. I pray now that as I preach that you, uh, that you would work. We trust that your Holy Spirit, that he would move in us, that he would work in us. Not because I've got anything grand to say, but because it's your word. So as we look at your text, at your word that you've given to us in 1 Timothy 6, I pray that it would go forth to ears, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth today. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so if you've peeked at your sermon note sheet or if you've looked at the text already, you're going to see it's about money. Jesus spoke a lot about money. A lot of times, guests, you're like, oh, Jesus, this guy's about to preach on money. But I want to, to, to get at something deeper than what sometimes maybe we hear about money normally. A lot of times uh, we hear someone preach on money because we need to pay off debt in the church. Or we hear someone preach on money because we're trying to raise a certain amount of funds to build a new building. Or because we've got a deficit in the budget. But that's not the case today. I think there's something much deeper in our view of money than just the act of giving. It goes much deeper to the heart. And so as we hear the word today, I want you to also remember to, to hear I'm not saying that you can't have money, that you have to be consigned to a life of poverty, because that's not true. The word addresses those who are rich and those who are poor. And it's how we view our money that is truly the heart of the matter. And so you're not going to hear me give you a sermon on preach or, or, or to, to give more. What I want you to hear today is much more profound. I want you to hear today from, from Paul in this letter that the love of money reveals the heart of a person. And even hear how Paul describes the love of money or greed or covetousness in Ephesians 5, 5. He says this, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So at the root of greed or the love of money, we're really talking about idolatry. 
when we're covetous towards money, when we desire riches, when we love money, we're really talking about idolatry. We're talking about believing in something other than God. And so I want us also to think about greed in this way. Hopefully this will be a a biblical definition of greed for us all today. And I would define it like this. Greed is a desire for something so much that it causes us to lose contentment in God. And by this very definition, we could likewise call the object of our desire our God. And so the object of our desire, of our greed, then becomes our idol. And John Piper describes this struggle between loving God and loving money this way. He says, Have you ever considered that the Ten Commandments begin and end virtually with the same commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, the first commandment. You shall not covet, the tenth commandment. And are almost equivalent commands. Coveting is desiring something, any, desiring anything other than God in a way that betrays a loss of contentment and satisfaction in Him. Covetousness is a heart divided between two gods, and it's idolatry. So as we look at 1 Timothy 6 today, I want us to see three things with the text. The first is treasure godliness with contentment. The second is guard yourself against greed. The third is fight the good fight of faith. And then after that, I want to end with just some very practical application that I think applies to all of us. So read with me 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. But godliness with contentment is a great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So the first thing I want us to see in verses 6 through 8 is that we should treasure godliness through contentment. And so we see there in verse 6 this but, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a transition. So in verses 3 through 6, Paul's telling Timothy, he's describing these false teachers that he needs to be aware of, be mindful of. And he's comparing the the false teacher's desire for godliness as a means of, of gain, of financial gain, of wealth, to what the man of God, what Timothy, and what we should be aspiring godliness for. And godliness with contentment, it tells us, is great gain. This godliness in verse 6, I think we could look at it as likeness to God or true religion not an outward and external. But godliness here is referring to an internal transformation that exhibits itself or leads to an external change. 
And we see the same thing here in 1 Timothy 4, 8, where Paul is telling Timothy, godliness is of great value. And here's how he describes it here. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So godliness doesn't just benefit us now and here. Godliness benefits us in the life to come as well. It holds promise for today and for the afterlife. So why do we live in such a way? Why do we often turn to things, turn to money, when it can only provide a temporary or a fleeting satisfaction? But Paul's telling Timothy, live for what is truly promising and can fulfill its promise. Pursue godliness because it has promises for today and the life to come. Godliness with contentment is great gain. This contentment, this true godliness produces contentment and it leads to the pursuit of God and the glory and his glory is the aim of this godliness. Again, it stands out, this true godliness, it stands out against this godliness that these false teachers had and seeking godliness just to gain money, to have greed. And we see this, uh, maybe an example of this, when a basketball player in the playoffs is shooting free throws, right? We see he has all these distractions. Possibly at no other time in the game is the crowd more rambunctious and trying to distract him than when he's got his eye on the, on the rim. And the see-through transparent backboard, he sees things waving around in the air and people yelling. And he's focused on the rim, picturing the ball going through the net. So he's not distracted. We so easily get distracted from godliness, from pursuing Christ. It is easy. Or sometimes you see it in your kids, right? They're, they're playing their video games or they're on their smartphone and you're in the same room trying to tell them something and ask them a question and you're, you're trying to elicit a response from them and they're so focused on the video game or on their phone, they don't even hear what you're saying. It happens, right? It's easy. But they're so focused. Let us be so focused on Christ, on pursuing Him, that, that that's all we're focused on, that that's all we're pursuing. Let us be focused on Him. When we believe that God is greater than money, we will treasure Him above money. Money will become our slave. It'll become our servant to godly means. May this godliness be our aim, and as we grow in Christ, we will grow in contentment with the things of this world. And when we see money as a second, secondary to God, then money becomes a vehicle by which we glorify Him, by which we make much of Him. And godliness is, great, is a great gain because it is through Christ that we have life. Right? We seek other things because we think it will bring us satisfaction. But when it, really it's Christ who offers life. Pursue Christ so that you too can have life. Here in verse 7, Paul grounds this pursuit of godliness in truth. And the truth that godliness with contentment is great gain in the reality of life. Right? He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take Nothing out of the world. So Paul uses our birth, 
our beginning and our death, our end. And he says, you brought nothing into the world. You can take nothing out of the world. See this world for what it truly is. It's not here for you to make much of yourself. It's not here for you to pursue money, to pursue desires and riches for yourself. Pursue Christ. Make much of Christ. Love Christ above your money. Love Christ above the security that you pursue through money. So if we are treasuring godliness, then contentment in God and his provision will not even be an issue. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verse 34. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what you treasure, what you value, is what you love. Where does your mind wander? What do you think about most often? Is it how you can get money, how you can take care of the family because it's all dependent upon you? Let me remind you, it's not dependent upon you. Pursue Christ-likeness. And even when we think about things and money and homes and possessions, rarely do we ever consider even the truth in this world, right? We don't ever, rarely do we compare ourselves to people in a village or in huts. We compare ourselves to people within our own social circles. And within every social circle, there's always going to be someone else with more money than you, a bigger house than you, a bigger car, nicer car than you. And we even lose perspective in that way, where we compare ourselves to one another instead of looking to Christ. So godliness is something to be treasured. Let us treasure godliness. Let us treasure Christ. And when we do, he will produce contentment. And the second thing I want us to see is in verses 9 and 10, and that is to guard ourselves against greed. And it says here in verses 9 and 10, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so here we see that the end result of desiring riches, of, of, of being greedy, when our life is defined by greed and that's the, the God that we pursue, it ends in destruction, Paul reminds us. You think by chasing after money or the fleeting security that you think money provides, that I think money provides, the enticement that it offers us. It really leads to destruction. It could be destruction in this life, but it would definitely be destruction in the life to come. And even take the example of the rich young ruler, right? Luke, Luke chapter 18. He comes to Christ and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And what does Christ tell him? He knows the heart of this young man. And he says, if you would come and follow after me, go sell everything that you have. He's hitting at the idol in this man's life. It is truly an idol. Loving money, desiring riches is an idol. 
And it's not just something that's kind of bad. It's replacing God. And it's an idol. It's your God. If you're desiring riches, loving money. And what's the response of the rich young ruler? He walks away sad, right? Extremely sad. And why? The Bible tells us because he was extremely rich. Luke 18 draws out, he walks away sad because he's extremely rich. He counted his riches as greater value than God, than following Christ. And this rich young man, we look at him and we think, how could he make this decision? He makes in a moment's notice a decision. He walks away from Christ sad. And we think, how foolish. He makes the decision in a moment's notice. But so often we're prone to wander. We're pursuing Christ. This, or, or the, religious, the religious lover of God is one who says, I'm going to follow him. But he slowly makes compromises, slowly turns. And that in many ways can be even be more dangerous, more deceiving. At least the rich young man, he said... I'm sorry, I'm going to turn and follow my riches. He knew what he was doing. But often, when we wander after sin, we show our unbelief in God by following and slowly deceiving ourselves and turning to follow riches. And we look at the wealthy when they say, I have no need for God, I've got money. What can God really offer me? And at least these people, just like the rich young man, they recognize, I can't serve two masters. I, don't, I can't serve two gods. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And listen to this last sentence in verse 24. You cannot serve God and money. It's one or the other. And when we love money, when we desire riches, when that controls us, when it takes over our thoughts and our, our life, Paul's telling us the end is destruction. Remember, greed is dangerous. It's a failure to be satisfied in Christ, and therefore, at its root, it's a failure to believe God. There's a deep warning. Let us heed this warning. And we even see this in life with people. Bernie Madoff, if you remember, back in 2009. Probably the greatest Ponzi scheme in the U.S., maybe even in the world. And it didn't start on some big, grand scale. It started small, right? One lie led to another to cover up another, promising, you give me your money to, to take care of, to invest, and I'll give you bigger returns than anyone else can promise you. And people fell to it. And it caused destruction. It caused destruction not only in Bernie Madoff's life, but it also caused destruction in other people's lives. People lost billions, companies, people lost billions across the world. But even greater than that, it caused destruction in people's lives. Three of his employees committed suicide, one of these being his son. He lost his son to his greedy, selfish desires. 
May it not be that we pursue greed, our idol of money, to the destruction of ourselves or others. And in his, in his apology, Madoff to his victim said this, I've left a legacy of shame, as some of my victims have pointed out, to my family and my grandchildren. This is some, something I live in for the rest of my life. And I'm sorry. And yes, this may be a far extreme of greed and covetousness. But sometimes it takes the extremes to, to, to catch our attention, right? In the day-to-day grind, it's easy to be prone to wander. It's easy to desire riches over Christ. The desire for riches kills our growth for spiritual life. And in Mark chapter 4, in the parable of the, the soils, the seed is the word, right? The, the seed is freely scattered. And it falls among the thorns, one of the types of soil. And what's it choked out by? Mark chapter 4 tells us this seed is choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Riches can deceive us. And Tim Keller says it this way. Idolatry also makes us servants of money. Just as we serve earthly kings and magistrates, so we sell our souls to idols because we look to them for our significance and security. We have to have them, and therefore we are driven to serve and essentially obey them. So we must be on guard. We must treasure godliness and treasure Christ, producing a contentment in us, and be on guard, be wary of the desire of riches as we pursue Christ. Because riches, they, they, they promise something, right? At least they deceive us sometimes and promise something. Of, if we have enough money, I can control things in my life. Or if I have enough money, I can be secure and not worry about retirement. If I have enough money, I can buy the things that I see other people have that I want. But be on guard against the desire for riches and for greed. It can creep up, not just for the rich, but it can creep up even on the poor. You look at what other people have, and you want it. You seek it. So let us fight this desire for riches with truth. Money comes and goes, and I've seen it in my own life, trying to cling so tightly to things sometimes. There's been a period in my life where for months I had a part-time job working hard to find something full-time that I knew that I believed God was calling me to. And I had to cling hard to the truth that God is my provision. And whatever he's brought in my life is that it would cause me to rely more upon him and less upon my, my own self-reliance and self-sustenance. Because he is my great provider. He is my great joy. And some of you might be in, even in a similar situation where money is tight. And so I want to give you today what Paul would tell you, and that is to cling to Christ. Pursue him. Work hard, but trust him. And here, Ecclesiastes 5.19, it says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. 
This is the gift of God. And did you hear that? Accept his lot and rejoice. Whether you're rich or you're poor, rejoice. Because it's God's gift to you. Either you're rich or you're poor. There are struggles that the rich have that you don't know about. So trust in him. Trust in his provision. Trust in his gift for your life. And how often do we lose contentment with God's provision in our lives? These subtle desires creep into our hearts and make very small compromises. We make small compromises here and small compromises there. Our hearts are prone to wander. I think our hearts are prone to greed, to desiring things, desiring security and money that only God can provide. And I want all of us to see that this greed, this desire for money, this greedy heart, it will never be satisfied. You get some and you want some more. You have a goal of this and you want a little bit more after you get it. So those of you who are rich, and I would say really, in fact, that's probably all of us here in this room today. We live in the most affluent county in the U.S. And our country is possibly the most affluent and richest country our world has ever seen. You, us, we are potentially some of the most privileged, financially affluent people that this world has ever seen. Don't be, don't be deceived. Beware. Let us... Instead of being slaves to money, making money our God, let us be slaves to Christ, being set free from the love of money to pursue him because greed will enslave us and take us farther into sin than we realize. There are many religious people on their way to hell because they are bound by the shackles of greed. So rich and poor, let us today take joy in Christ, setting our hope in Christ, so in verses 6 through 8, we've seen, let's treasure godliness with contentment. Verses 9 and 10, we've seen, guard yourself against greed because there is an end to greed. There is an end to a life controlled by greed, and that is destruction. So what now? Let's look to verses 11 and 12, and Paul will remind us that we should fight the good fight of faith. Verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so here in verse 11, that beginning says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee the desire for riches, flee the love of money and greed. But that's not enough. We don't just turn from one thing and hope that life's going to work out. We just don't put off sin and hope things are going to get better. Flee these things. Quit chasing after them. But what, what does it say next? It says pursue what? Righteousness. 
faithfulness, or faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So turn from your sin and put on Christ's likeness. This pursuing, this chasing should be a continual habit, not just a one and done. I decided to follow Christ one day when I gave him my life, but it's a daily putting off. It's a daily assessing. How do I put off greed? God, show me where I might be leaning toward greed or leaning toward relying on myself, leaning towards pursuing money, desiring riches instead of you. So how do we fight? We fight for faith. That is, as Jude 3 would tell us, we fight for the gospel, for the faith that was once for all handed down for the saints. We fight with cherishing of Christ and hating sin because it's idolatry. It is exchanging the one true God for an idol. And what's at stake here? We've already seen that from verses 9 and 10 that if we pursue greed, that there's destruction, but is it just a mere, my life might end up bad? Destruction. No, verse 12 tells us that what's at stake is eternal life. So let us, if it's eternal, let's fight with everything that we have. Let's, with a single-minded devotion, pursue believing in God and casting all other things off that we might become like Him, that we might turn away from sin and turn to Christ's likeness because our souls are in the balance. Heaven or hell will be the reward for those whose God is money and those whose God is God Himself. We see this displayed many times. One of these is even with one of the own missionaries that we support, that we pray for, that we've sent out. He was working, I'm not going to mention his name, but he was working in D.C. And he said, I'm going to go wherever you would send me, God. And it's not just him by himself, but he takes his whole family, his children and his wife, to the Middle East where, as you know, it's quite dangerous. It's not easy to be a Christ follower. And he says, whatever it's going to be, whatever you would have me pursue as a vocation serving you, I will do. I'll turn away from whatever it is, a nice, secure job in D.C., to serve you however you would have me. And that was him being sent to the Middle East. And it doesn't require that. Following Christ doesn't require that we give up everything every single day and give and sell everything we have. But it may be. It might not be. For you, it could be, I'm just going to daily work and live in such a way that's going to proclaim that money is not my God. In your vocations, you choose a righteous way. You choose truth in your business ventures, when it might even benefit you more financially or your company more financially to do one thing, you choose to do something that's best for the client and not best for the company. Because sometimes we can be, we can be deceived. I could do this. I could do something that's going to really benefit my company at the sake of the client and it looks good in the short term. It may even get you a raise 
get you a promotion. But don't be deceived. Don't let little lies creep in. Or even moms, will you place a greater emphasis on pursuing Christ than what the other moms at the school think of you and your kids as you fight this fight of faith? Because you're pursuing Christ, you're pointing your kids towards Christ. Or even dads working so hard, wanting to provide a nicer toy, a fancier place, a bigger house for our families. And we neglect this fight for faith, the fight of faith for lesser things, for idols. Or even teenagers, would you not consider choosing Christ today over the promises that our culture makes? The things that the culture shoves in our faces, in your faces especially, saying pursue these things, turn away from the faith, but instead would you not choose Christ? He's of eternal value. And if you love money, if you will, if you'll follow after it, you go crashing into eternity. Destruction is your end. So instead of crashing, instead of destruction being your end, let us pursue Christ. Let us follow him. Let us be on guard because there are great warnings. Let's not be deceived by the promises that money, that greed seems to hold out for us. But instead, let us fight the good fight of faith. Let us seek to honor Christ. And as I close, I want to end with some ending application that I think all of us can identify with. But right before I get that, get to that, if you don't know Christ, if you're here and you're thinking, man, this dude is going on and on about money, I hope that you have seen that it's not just about the church is not just about giving that the church might build big buildings, that the church might have fancy things. I hope that you've seen today, if you're without Christ, that there is something of greater value than our money. That there's something of more importance than pursuing, chasing after what this world might offer in a promotion at your job is my hope, it's been my prayer preparing for this, that if you're here and you're without Christ, that you would choose him today because he is far more valuable. First Timothy 4.8. He's of value in this life, but also the life to come. Following Christ, the end is not destruction, but the end is eternal life with him forever. But if you are in Christ, here are five things just as I'm, I was preparing for this, really even before I was preparing this and, and even why I wanted to preach this. As I was trying to apply this same text to my own life, here are some things I thought of. The first thing, repent of your greed and ask God to replace greed with an open-handed generosity that flows from an understanding of the great riches that we have in Christ not in a full bank account. The second thing, let us admit our struggle to a close brother or sister in the faith. We're here together. We're not going through this life alone. It wasn't meant for you to do alone. And in fact, many of you are involved in Sunday school or even a community group. Perhaps there's a close brother or sister in your community group or in your Sunday school class 
that you can let know I'm struggling with greed. I struggle to find delight and contentment in Christ. Would you help me along this path of following him together? The third thing, let us recognize God's provision in our lives by giving regularly to the church. All right, if you've been listening, that's a big red flag, right? I told you at the beginning, I wasn't going to make an appeal for giving to the church. And hopefully the whole thrust of everything you've heard today shows you that's not my goal. But I do think that that is, a, is, is an outworking of a heart that has been changed. And I think it's even an, an outworking through regular giving, not just, uh, I had enough money this month, I paid my bills and bought my kids this and that, and I've got enough left over. But I think the outworking of a life that's following Christ is giving, but giving regularly. Let our giving be a display of our faith in God. Let me give regularly as a display of God being my God and not money being my God. And it doesn't even get easier with more money that you have. The more money you have, I think, the harder it can be to let go of sometimes. Because we take security in it, right? And the fourth thing, let us show our dependence upon God by setting a standard of living for yourself. That might be something new. I'm going to say it again. Show your dependence upon God by setting a standard of living for yourself. And what do I mean by, by, by a standard of living? What I mean is, I'm going to consult my wife, I'm going to pray with God, and ask him to give me a standard of living. You name it. I don't know what it is for your family. Maybe it's 50,000. Maybe it's 70. Maybe it's 100. I don't know specifically for you. I'm not here to tell you that. But seek counsel with your husband or wife. Ask God to tell you that. And so as we get raises, if we get promotions, and we get more money, if I've set a standard of living for myself it makes it pretty easy to know what I'm going to do with the excess. If I get the bonus, if I get the promotion, it makes it easier to decide what I'm going to do with the excess. So let this standard of living show that I'm not dependent on having more money every year to get by, which leads me to the last point of application. Show your life has been changed by God, by raising your standard of giving. So if I've, if I've made this my level or standard of living and God decides he's going to give me an increase in income and salary, that's pretty easy. I just raised my standard of giving. God just raised my standard of giving, actually. It's his gift. He's decided to give it to you that you might steward it well to honor him. So let us show through our life that we've been changed by God by raising our standard of giving, which is also another reminder that money is not our idol, that we're not believing in money and greed, but we're believing in the one true God. So our view of money reveals our heart. At its root, the love of money is idolatry. It's a rejection of God. It's a denial of your need for God. And so even now, I ask, let us depend on him. 
Let us treasure godliness with contentment. Let us guard ourselves against greed by pursuing Christ's likeness. Let us fight this good fight of faith. That is faith not in money, but faith in God. So pray with me. God, I ask that uh, you would work deeply within my own soul in this area, that you would work deeply in the souls of everyone who has been here today. I ask that if there are some who are without you today, that they would see that money promises something that it cannot ultimately fulfill that they would turn from their greed and love of money and turn to you. That they would cry out to you and see their greatest need is hope that's only provided through Christ. And for those of us who do follow you, who have said, I will come and follow you, I'll take up my cross and deny myself, follow you daily, I pray that we would not be led astray by the deceitfulness of riches, that we would not grow in greed, but we would grow in Christ's likeness. And it's in your son's name I pray, amen.